0: Scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter nine, verse one through 19. So please open your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter nine, verses one through 19. And it reads this. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, man or woman, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you come, by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food. He was strengthened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone, and
1: welcome to Holy Trinity downtown. I'm Pastor John Dennis and just super happy to have all of you joining us today. I'm very excited about our text today because it's about the power of God to change an individual's life. And more than that, it's really the beginning of the next stage of God's mission in the world. As is well known, Helen Keller was both deaf and blind And she's famous today for her resilience to overcome some of the obstacles of her life. And she often pointed out some of the great paradoxes of life. About suffering, she said this, although the world is full of suffering, it is also full of the overcoming of suffering. And she showed what it was like to suffer through various circumstances. She also focused on what it was like to be able to see even without having sight. She said these words, the best and most beautiful things in the world cannot be seen or even touched. They must be felt with heart. And what she's saying there is that there are things that move beyond the tangible, what we can see and touch and hear that there's more than one way to perceive. In fact, she's alluding to the ability to, to perceive things spiritually or to perceive things beyond the things that cannot be seen. In fact, she also once said this, that the only thing that is worse than being blind is having sight but having no vision. And today we see a man or we meet a man who, can at first see, he's able to see, but he has no vision of who God is. He's hard, he's insensitive, he's breathing threats, and we see his extraordinary power to change a life. In fact, he we're gonna encounter what you might call uh, amazing grace, as John Newton wrote. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see." I'm gonna just invite you to join me in prayer. Again, welcome to Holy Trinity downtown. Would you bow with me in prayer and ask that God would open our eyes to his word and what he has to say to us. Our Father in heaven, help us to see your extraordinary power to change lives and open our eyes that we might see mighty things in your word, O oh Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm just gonna show you the text in three sections. You can think of it as what Paul was like before he met Jesus, Paul when he meets Jesus, and then Paul after he is changed by Jesus. And it gives us a picture of the need for every one of us to have a, a life-transforming encounter with Christ, even if it is not n- nearly as dramatic as Paul's is. Verses one and two. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder. Can you picture that? Against the disciples of the Lord. It's One, one author describes it as if he's breathing like an animal, essentially. He, he's like a beast here. Against the disciples of the Lord. He goes to the high priest. He has these kinds of religious connections and asks him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. Why does Saul do this? So that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. This is Saul, who later will become the apostle Paul. His name will be changed. This is Saul before he meets Jesus. And his intention is to bind people, to persecute people to take away their religious liberty and to lock them up. Malcolm Gladwell is the well-known writer of books like The Outliers and The Tipping Point and most recently Talking to Strangers. Uh, I got a master class, one of the classes that are taught by uh, many very accomplished people and I was listening to him speak Malcolm Gladwell, in one of his writing courses, and he says, for him, writing is like a puzzle. And part of what the author is doing is giving the pieces to the puzzle, little by little, to the person so they can assemble them, but withholding information all, all the while. That the author's ability to withhold information and then just to to give it out at in small bites is a way of, holding suspense and building tension. And what's so beautiful about the narrative style of Luke at this section is before this, we've gotten little tiny glimpses of who Saul is. He's mentioned a couple of times, three times actually, and they give us a tiny glimpse of who he is. But at this point, if you've never read the book of Acts, if you've never heard the stories of scripture, you would not know who this man is going to be. So as an example, at the end of chapter seven, when Stephen is being stoned, it says very clearly in chapter 858 that they laid their garments, those who were the witnesses, at the feet of a man, young man named Saul. In other words, here these people are, they've taken off their outer garments in order to stone Stephen, and they're placed at the at the feet of a young man whose name is Saul. Chapter 8, verse 1, just another little hint, part of the puzzle, and Saul approved of Stephen's persecution. In chapter 8, verse 3, we start to see this change in the, the tone of the narrator as it relates to Paul, it says, or Saul. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. In other words, what we're reading right now should take our breath away because Luke is, he's actually introducing the hero of the rest of the book of Acts. He's he's introducing the one who single-handedly almost helps to move the mission from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria as it unfolds until it gets to this third and final stage as it moves to the ends of the earth. And yet Luke describes him as a murderer. Friends, how can the the greatest missionary in the world be a murderer? How can the one who seems to be the chief of saints also declare himself as the chief of sinners? And part of what God is doing in saving the Apostle Paul is saying that if God can save a murderer and change his life so powerfully and use him, God could change anyone. In fact, later the Apostle Paul in the book 1 Timothy writes of himself that he is the chief of sinners. In the King James Version, it says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. Or as uh, Eugene Peterson puts it in his message, public sinner number one. In other words, Paul or Saul at this point in his life is like a great example of God's mercy. That if God can take someone who is a blasphemer, who is so hard-hearted and such a murderer and change his life around, friends, can he not change your life around in fact, in First Timothy, I'm just going to read you the rationale that Paul gives of why he himself believes that he was saved. I'm actually going to read it in a the, in, in the, uh, paraphrase version. I just want you to hear the emotion here. I am deeply grateful to our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom I owe all that I have accomplished. These, this is a, a paraphrase of 1 Timothy chapter 1. For trusting me to appoint me as his minister, despite the fact that I had previously blasphemed his name, persecuted the church, and damaged his cause. Listen to this now. I believe he was merciful to me because what I did was done in the ignorance of a man without faith. And then he poured out his grace upon me. And then comes that statement. This statement is reliable and should be universally accepted, that Christ Jesus entered the world to rescue sinners. The one requirement to meet Jesus personally is to become humbled and be given faith that you recognize that you need him. Listen to this, I realized that I was the worst of them all and that because of this very fact, God was particularly merciful to me. It was a kind of demonstration of the extent of Christ's patience towards the worst of men to serve in his, to serve as an example to all in the, who in the future should trust him for eternal life. God delights in choosing and finding those who have had hard hearts against him. Why? So that he might pour out his mercy and because he's the center of the universe, also receive praise. To God be the glory. And then to close out that section in 1 Timothy, where Paul or Saul speaks of why God saved him when he viewed himself as the chief of sinners, he says, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. In other words, it gives God great praise to see lives be transformed. Friends, Saul is breathing threats. Saul is known to be a murderer in this point. But what's being shown is that God loves the broken, that God loves the sinners. And here's Saul before he meets Jesus. He's lost, but he doesn't know it. And God is showing him that he must find out that he's lost before he can be found. If that's Saul meeting Jesus in verses one and two, then verses three through nine are, sorry, if that's Saul before he meets Jesus in verses one and two, then let's look at Saul meeting Jesus in verses three to nine. And if what we see in verses one and two is that we have to know that we're lost before we're found, here we see that we cannot see Jesus until we realize that we are blind. Here now verse three. Now as he went on his way he approached Damascus and a suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Can you imagine how terrifying this would be not a bolt of lightning but a a a kind of explosion of light and Saul is on his way to Damascus and when he sees this light he he just falls to the ground and then Falling on the ground, he hears a voice. Who is the voice? It is the resurrected Jesus, the one who at the beginning of the book of Acts has come back to them and taught them for 40 days and 40 nights, the one who in the gospels shows them his his hands and his side. And falling to the ground, Saul hears this voice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And this is an amazing statement because what it's saying Keep in mind that Jesus has already ascended into heaven, but he is so connected to his people, to what's called his body, that when they are wounded, he is wounded. That when they are hurt, he is hurt. When they are persecuted, he is persecuted. When they are rejected, he is rejected. That is why he became the wounded one, became the persecuted one, became the rejected one, so that we might be found. And so they say here, he says here, Saul says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Keep in mind that in our modern times, as J.I. Packer has pointed out in his Concise Theology, our names are somewhat interchangeable. They don't necessarily have uh, tremendous significance, but in the, the uh, historic cultures, in the scriptures and in ancient times, somebody's name was, was chock full of tradition. And here, Lord really means master. And when he says, Jesus, it is the name the Lord saves Joshua or Yeshua, and he says, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you will will do. So the men who are with him, they don't see anything, but they hear the voice, again, this symbolism here of the inability to see Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. Often in the gospels, blind people come to Jesus And often in the Gospels, the imagery of Isaiah chapter 6 is being picked up. There's a place in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 10 where the prophet is told that he's to go on a mission, but he's told that it's going to be challenging because the the hearts of the people are going to be dull and the ears of the people are going to be heavy and the eyes of the people will be made blind. Think of it this way, friends. Saul's blindness was not God's unkindness. Saul's blindness was God's kindness to show him that he could not see and that he needed to be, that he needed to see and that he needed to have his eyes open. You know what's really remarkable here is that Saul is not seeking God. He's running away from God. Saul is, is not trying to find God, but God or Jesus finds him in his, and stops him in his tracks. Many of us wonder, how can I find God? And really, Christianity is the story of how God has come to find us. Or as the British preacher John Stott once put it, God took the initiative according to his own will and pleasure. This is God taking the initiative. You've heard me before remark about C.S. Lewis's conversion, but he is such a remarkable person in terms of his reflection on his own experience. And He says in a couple places, he says of his own conversion that I became aware that I was holding something at bay or shutting something out. He began understanding that someone was out there or that I was wearing some sort of stiff clothing like corsets or even a suit of armor as if I were a lobster. And then he speaks at another time of a dark night where he's in his uh, room at Maudlin College night after night feeling, whenever my l- mind lifted even for a second from my work, the steady and unrelenting approach of him, <laughs> listen to this description, uh, whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. That which I greatly feared, he says, had at last come upon me in Trinity term of 1929. I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. That's from his book, Surprised by Joy. But it captures this idea that God was coming for Lewis as as. God came for the Apostle Paul here. So we have verses 1 and 2, Saul before meeting Jesus, and then Saul when he meets Jesus. And then finally, in verses 10 through 19, we have Saul being changed by Jesus, being commissioned by Jesus. And God uses Ananias, who is rightfully afraid of the Apostle Paul. Look at verse 10, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, interestingly, in Damascus, this, straight, this street still exists as one of the east-west corridors in Damascus, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, Tarsus is Saul's hometown, For behold, he's praying, and he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias come to him, that's you, Ananias, and lay his hands on him so that he might regain sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. In other words, uh uh-uh, I'm not going to take these orders. This reminds me a little bit of those moments in Star Wars where There's a little hologram that appears and some orders are given. Here's this supernatural voice on an infinitely higher level speaking to Ananias and and, and telling him to go. It says, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. But here's the Lord speaking to him. This is really a really important phrase in verse 15 and 16. But the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name, that is to carry the name of Jesus, his saving power and his character before the Gentiles, before kings and the children of Israel. What an incredible description. What an incredible mission. Here's this one who is a persecutor of the church, a murderer, someone who's breathing threats and going and trying to Bind people and throw them in jail and he gets this commission that he's going to go before kings. And as the book of Acts unfolds, that's what we see him do. Go before kings. And that little phrase there where it says before the Gentiles is also very important. It's literally the word ethnos or what we get our word ethnic from it. And it doesn't mean just other people but it means all of the nations, that is all of the people groups. He's going to be a particular instrument in moving the the good news of Jesus away from who were primarily in the focus of the mission at that point, which is the Jews. And it's going to break to be for all people, to be for Gentiles or to be for all peoples. So Ananias is hesitant, of course, but he hears this very specific mission he's chosen as an instrument. So he departs and laying his hands on him. Imagine this also, brother, he says that brother Saul, the Lord who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Man, when you meet the person of Jesus, part of what happens is not only if you were lost, you become found, but if you're blind, you now see. And that's what's happening to happening to the Apostle Paul as an example to us. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit because Acts 1 8 says, You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. As Pastor Jay spoke of last week, that God uses biblically informed and spirit-filled witnesses of whom Paul is not only the chief sinner, but also the chief example. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. And we see here that what happens to Paul is he's genuinely converted and then he is baptized to show his identity with who. God is. And I know there are some of you that um, feel like God has changed your life and have not yet taken on the sign of baptism, which is a sign that shows that you indeed are saved, that you are indeed converted in the eyes of the world. And if that is a sign that you feel like you're ready to take, if you are a follower of Jesus and you've never been baptized, it's a commandment actually at the end of the Gospel of Matthew that, that to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. So Saul, as he's had this dramatic encounter, personal encounter with Jesus, his, these something like scales fall from his eyes, he regains his sight, and he is baptized. And then it says, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. I love how Scott Sauls puts it in his book, A Gentle Answer. He says, indeed, Jesus, listen to this, how well it's said, Jesus came to turn enemies into friends his friends into family, and his family into joyful participants in his mission. Isn't that beautiful? (laughs) That God would take an enemy and make him a friend, take a friend and make him family, and then take family and send them out on mission. That's what's happening in this passage. Scott Salts goes on, he says, while we were running away from him and not toward him, while we were hostile and opposed to him and not favorable towards him, while we were his enemies and not his friends, while we were sinners, that is the moral setting in which Jesus Christ showed us the full extent of his love. Amen. May that be true of us, Holy Trinity, that we would have this life-changing, empowering encounter with Jesus that we who are lost might be found, that we who are blind might also see and then be sent on to mission. Friends, to be able to see, you have to admit that you are blind and that you need Jesus's sight. To be found, you have to understand that you are lost. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. That hymn is probably the most popular hymn in history. It's been performed probably 10 million times, they say, annually. It's appeared on more than 11,000 albums. It's uh, been sung by Ray Charles, by Elvis, by Willie Nelson, by Johnny Cash, by Aretha Franklin, and others. And of course, the, the author is John Newton. And John Newton himself, like the Apostle Paul, was a blasphemer. He wasn't a murderer that we know of, but he was a slave trader. And it raises the question, why does God delight in saving and changing sinful people? Because it highlights his sovereign grace in the world. God has an extraordinary power to change lives. And his plan is to launch his mission to the ends of the earth and it begins with someone that would be completely unworthy. Here, the Apostle, Saul, the Apostle Paul or Saul. God chooses the unworthy so that he might show how worthy he is. God takes a sinner and makes a saint, a murderer and makes a missionary to show how extraordinary his kindness and his riches are. So, Holy Trinity, May you have this kind of life-changing personal encounter with the Lord Jesus. May you have sight and be able to see who Jesus truly is. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this uh, example of the Apostle Paul. And I pray that that all who feel unworthy here would understand that that's the only kind of person you change and use, is the unworthy, because you are worthy. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.